You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Hello, this is Maddie. You're listening to the Voluntary Vixens podcast. I'm joined as usual by my lovely co-host, Jesse, who is kind of matching me today. We didn't plan this, <laughs> but we're awesome. <laughs> Deep V, black shirt, yeah. Deep V for Vixens, right? <laughs> yeah, unplanned. And my messy hair doesn't count, but we are joined this evening by... Nat, or better known as the preparedness guy. And when I asked him to come on the show, um, I totally didn't realize that uh, it, September is National Preparedness Month. <laughs> is that right, Nat? That's right. It's the greatest, the best time of the year. <laughs> it's better than Christmas. Actually, it makes a lot more sense than Christmas for anybody who's like super practical, uh, myself included, slightly. Uh, Paranoid and neurotic, especially more so these days, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um, I, so what I really had initially reached out to you to join us for was kind of like along the lines of um, like a theme I have in my mind of like self-help September. And I know that a lot of like what I try to do in terms of who I'm like reaching out to or what I'm trying to be more educated on myself is like something that I realize that might help me, but I realize I'm just also one person, but um, it's probably generally applicable, applicably useful stuff for other people to know. And so I thought nothing better than uh, at this crazy moment in time we're in than um, the self-help of some basic preparedness knowledge. That's right. If, if anybody's um, waiting for their, preparedness wake-up call uh, the last about two years should have should have taken care of that yeah yeah so one thing i i've noticed um, i'm a i'm a professional emergency manager so i um i do this as my as my career but one thing i i noticed about that is that uh there's not a whole lot of focus on self-sufficiency or um, really based on, on individual needs. It's kind of a one-size-fits-all, but it's usually policy-driven and very, very top-down. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't do much for, for self-help at all or effective preparedness. Um, even with National Preparedness Month, they have themes for each week, which are, which are good. They're generally good, right? The first week is make a plan. The second mm-hmm. one is build a kit. The third week, which is, is new, I think, this year, uh, low-cost and no-cost preparedness. And mm. the fourth week is uh, to teach about preparedness, and that's mostly focused on, on teaching your kids. Uh, so that, that comes through FEMA, uh, from FEMA through ready.gov. Um, you know, there's some, some resources there. 
but that's basically the extent of, of what, uh, what the government does. But as an emergency manager, I found a, a, quite a disconnect between what we try to do for organizations and what people need to do for themselves. And I'm trying to bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. Got it. So I don't know if this is an invasive question or not, but do you technically work for the government? Um, indirectly, yeah. So I'm um, currently in healthcare doing emergency management. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Well, so that seems re- like, so if you do this for a living and you kind of saw, you probably saw the writing on the wall before things really popped off here at home. Yeah, definitely. We were tracking this first getting uh, in China. And at that time, it seemed, um, with, with uh, all of COVID, it seemed really, really, really scary. You know, the uh, leaked video footage, the basically the silencing of um, witnesses mm-hmm. or the, the numbers being skewed. Um, so we thought, well, maybe this is, Maybe this is the the big one, and you know I don't want to downplay the um, seriousness of, of those who have died uh, with COVID, but um, we've prepared for worse pandemics. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that was it's, it's still terrible, but that was kind of a relief when it ended up not being as bad as we um, thought it might it might be. Yeah, no, definitely, uh, and um, like that's along the lines of my like almost ad nauseum repeated phrase of last year was everybody seems to be allergic to good news. Um, and yes. like, that is incredibly good news because it really could have been disastrous. And I think, um, I don't know if it's actually happening, but you know, every once in a while now we're hearing about, um, or just sentiment and um, maybe the inkling of or people getting kind of scared again about, you know, more lockdowns. And so the toilet paper is gone and people are rushing to the stores. I've kind of um, not felt the need to do so this time. <laughs> maybe it's just because, you know, fooled me once. Uh, yeah. But I don't know. And because I don't know, I feel like I did take a little bit more to heart earlier last year and even around the uncertainty of the election and just like kind of the nightmare we've been living under for the past year and a half. Like, I don't know. I feel like I, I've done a bit to prepare, but I know there's more that I can and should be doing. You know, there's always more you can and should be doing <laughs> everyone, everyone. And the, mm-hmm. it seems like the more you, uh, the more you do, the more you realize you could be doing. Um, but it is a choose your own adventure journey. It's mm. not a one size fits all. There's no checklist of all the things you need to do in order to be prepared. It's all really genuinely based on your needs. And that's something that I've, um, I've come to understand better because I've been interested in preparedness for a very long time. And, uh, you know, you can look at me, I'm really old. I was in the scouts. So we, um, you know, we did, some level of, of emergency preparedness, mm-hmm. an Eagle Scout, um, and then I was in the military doing um, medical things and emergency management things there. And um, so, throughout my, you know, basically most of my most of my life, I've been interested in preparedness. But most of it is 
at least most of it that's interesting, is kind of doomsday focused, the SHTF, end of the world type of stuff. And um, it doesn't really work. Hmm. You know, it's, um, it's not, I mean, it is, it is fun to think about. Everyone knows that uh, The Walking Dead was a big hit. Mm. but I considered it research right <laughs> yes. right and even the CDC came out when that was at its height with the um, zombie preparedness if you're prepared for a zombie apocalypse you're prepared for anything and I always joke and then the power goes out yeah right so are you really prepared for everything uh, because it's yeah. not it's not the same if you're prepared for the worst case scenario are you really prepared for not the worst case scenario or if things don't necessarily go go bad anyway and you end up living a long life and you have to retire and you don't have any savings because you, you brought a bunker <laughs> yeah right um you know and and even in the field of emergency management there's a lot of uh, um, negative thoughts about preppers um they they look at it they generally look at people who prepare as the you know paranoid uh, hoarders, all of that, which is generally untrue. That would, it, you know, that's any any stereotype of any type of group is is just as as untrue. Um, well, not any stereotype, but I don't know. Yeah, they. Uh, so there's there's a lot of you would think that the people who are doing this professionally would say, okay, just let them do their thing. They're taking care of themselves. That's one less person, one less group that we need to take care of. Um, and not that not that it's their job to take care of you, but it is their job to prepare their organization. So when you're working in a county or a city, you're working your doing those trainings plans to help those groups respond better and help and help people in the community. So it's always an indirect behind the scenes uh, type of help, but it still is policy driven and and top down versus bottom up. They have had some outreach. Um, uh, some outreach programs, uh, and there's been the Community Emergency Response Team CERT. The federal funding for that dried up, but a lot of jurisdictions around the country have have kept it up themselves. It's a pretty cool program uh, because anyone can join, and you learn uh, basic basic firefighting, first aid, search and rescue, uh, disaster psychology, just different ways to oh, deal man. with disasters. And some or some jurisdictions actually incorporate the cert team into large-scale disasters as uh, basically augmentees. Uh, so it's a somewhat effective program, except anything that is top-down like that, how do you justify it? You know, it sounds like a really good idea when everybody is afraid of something. You know, post-September 11th, all of the preparedness stuff became a big, big deal after Hurricane Katrina. That's where all the funding is going, and it's all based on what people are afraid of at that time. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a saying that says training is what you do just after you need it the most, mm. and it's kind of the same way same way <laughs> with funding. The funding goes to what goes to pay for the previous disaster to train for the previous disaster, and mm-hmm. then when they are not afraid of that anymore, it dries up, and it's not sustainable. And you can't say like, oh yeah, I trained however many people, and I can quantify that because that person uses a fire extinguisher. There's no reporting of when somebody uses a fire extinguisher. So <laughs> you, don't, you never know if it's effective. And that's the, the problem with the top-down thing. Somebody's got to pay for it. and Somebody's got to justify that spending. 
Um, but when you focus on bottom up, it's it's a little bit different because I mean, still, if it's a if you know if it's, you can't do a you can't do a top down bottom up federal program because it would run into the same issues. So you have to do it um, through voluntary means, right? With uh, <laughs> with individuals and, and reaching out to people directly. Yep. So, um, okay, so go back to the, like, each week there is a different theme. So what was the first week again? Uh, make a plan. Make a plan. Uh, so, yeah, ready.gov is the, tr the traditional um, three things to do are build a kit, make a plan, and be informed. And they're kind of, uh, like, kind of adjusting that a little bit. But the first week is make a plan. Um, mm -hmm. Now, my... Um, my, my view of preparedness now is not as as rigid as it used to be, I guess, and it's not as um, it's not as disaster focused. However, mm -hmm. uh, well, it's, it's needs it's needs focused, and I'll explain that I think in a little bit. Okay. Um, but with make when you make a plan, it the plan is based on immediate life saving actions, generally. You don't want to make, you don't have to make a plan for everything. You don't have to make a plan for um, every step of every response. However, you mm -hmm. must make a plan for things that you have, immediate actions you have to take in a life-threatening situation. Um, for example, in a tornado, there's a tornado warning. You know there's a tornado or suspect there's a tornado. You have to go to a safe place in your home, lowest level away from the windows um, in an interior room. And that should be part of your plan. If there's a fire in your house, uh, if you can put it out, do it. If you can't, you need to evacuate. Mm -hmm. And that needs to be a plan. You, know, you have to have that plan. And then it goes into the training aspect of this. Now we started the, the conversation a little bit talking about the, um, you know, the last, last couple of years and everything that's been happening and how right now we're thinking, well, maybe it's not going to be so bad, but every situation we go through every real emergency or false alarm or time, every, anytime, anytime we practice it or do a drill, we have to consider that as, as training. That's mm -hmm. one of the most effective uh, ways to be, pre be prepared is to actually do it or practice it. Um, for example, evacuating your home. If you and your family just say, oh, yeah, we'll evacuate and meet, you know, at the, the basketball hoop or the, the playground or the neighbor, you find a place and then you don't ever practice it, maybe, maybe it'll work out. But if you actually walk through it, you say, okay, if, if the fire happens and it's the middle of the night, each of you will be in your rooms. So go to your rooms. Okay, now we'll, <laughs> we'll walk through how you would safely check the door and make sure it's it's safe to open how to um get out of the room get down the stairs or up the stairs or wherever you are out out a window and get out and if they practice it then it uh, it becomes a more effective tool in, in reality because when it's a stressful situation you have to fall back on something if you have nothing mm -hmm. to fall back on right then you're either winging it or you're panicking mm -hmm. um now i um I'll do a little self-promotion here. I do have a, a, a planning guide on my website. It's nice. Uh, 
it's uh, preparednessguy.com and okay. um, there's a just a training article with it with that talks about the the plan and the um the importance of each each part of it but you can um put in your email and you can get the uh, the pdf and it goes through uh, all these different um disasters that would require all these different hazards that would require immediate action so <laughs> things like a fire a tornado uh, something that you should be able to practice and, and you can do uh, your floor plan there's a graph you can write out your own floor plan put where your fire extinguisher is in your own home uh, mark your exit routes like you would see in a in a public building the fire escape routes um, so those things are things that you can think ahead and when you mentally rehearse it that's the first step of it uh, is mentally rehearsing it and then you can walk through it you know the the crawl walk run mm -hmm. you do a discussion based and that's what we do professionally too with uh with the um, exercise cycle basically is we have a plan and then we talk through it with the people who uh, will be responding in the plan then we have a discussion based exercise and then we will drill specific portions of it and then we'll do like a functional or full scale exercise where we act through it real time and basically progressing up so applying those same things to your your family are just as effective mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense since i like don't have kids yet this would be the perfect time for me to like figure sort of these things out and um practice them with myself at least because i'm just you know my one person um or you know me and my boyfriend and um I've, it's, you definitely make a good point of, uh, it's worth it to practice and rehearse that like game plan of we're, we're, if something happens, like we're going to meet in the park, like you said, um, you know, I thought and said to my family, like, if we ever needed to meet anywhere, it's like, we got to go to, you know, Mark's mm -hmm. house. And <laughs> so what I think we, what I think we need to do this weekend family as an activity is, um, don't use your GPS and make it to Mark's house. <laughs> yeah, blindfolded. Just kidding. <laughs> right, right. Well, almost. In some ways, it feels like that, right? But even like yeah. you know, because what if the power goes out? What if the like our data goes out? Um, this might be a little like too much of a tangent, and maybe something less accessible for people. But um, I know I've definitely like somewhat looked into and have heard a lot about um, ham radios. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm not licensed. Um, I have taken some training and, um, I need to, a lot of it is, is getting, um, with your local group cause they're the ones who are really the experts. Um, but that does take some time commitment and, um, anyone can technically, I mean, this is the, the one exception in an emergency situation, not just an emergency, like if it's a life-saving situation, like you're, uh, hanging off the side of a, a cliff or somebody's bleeding out, you could use a ham radio to call for help, hypothetically speaking. But that's like the only exception that you could use it in a non in in general. If it's a uh, if it's basically to save a life, um, some people interpret that as like, oh, there's a declared emergency. I can I can use it, and, and that's not that's not true. Um, but there is a lot of benefit to it because it's um, you're you're just basically using the existing open radio waves and there's a 
um, whole volunteer work. People all over the country with their own um, and repeaters and everything, and they all work together and kind of self-regulate in a lot of ways too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's, that's one of the kind of like not set in stone goals to get licensed, but yeah, um, but that is definitely something I want. I, I want to do personally um, in a lot of ways, just because it's kind of cool just to say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I made. <laughs> I'm radio That's true. Yeah. What would you like, you know, I know for myself, because I'm a nurse, I try to have like a in my car and I haven't kept it up, but I did try for a while to keep a bunch of first aid stuff in my car in case something happened because I was a trap. I did um, home hospice and I was in my car Mm -hmm. a lot. Um. But I guess for the average person, like what, I mean, I would, I think everybody should have like a first aid kit in their house or in, and even in their car, just in case, um, what would you suggest that people put in their first aid kit? Good question. So I used to play the game where I would take like one bag or one kit and I'd stuff it full of everything I could possibly need from, um, you know, a, a bandaid to feminine hygiene to uh, a, a neck brace to Sam splints to tourniquets and everything mm-hmm. like anything I could possibly think anyone around me could possibly use. And then, you know, then somebody scrapes their knee. I'm like, I've got this pull up in the bag and everything's falling out. And, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, separated <clears throat> by function, by function. Um, mm. so if you, a first aid kit is basically the bumps, scrapes and bruises kit mm-hmm. some um over-the-counter medication stuff like that and everybody should have that in general especially if you have kids um just a billion band um gauze and coband cohesive uh-huh. bandage like that is um probably my number one recommended thing is to have some uh, like two by two gauze pads or some and, uh, and some cohesive bandages because kids get cut and scraped in some weird places but that'll take care of it mm-hmm. um and then you can look at things differently as far as like a trauma kit. That would be um, things like a, a tourniquet, a compression bandage, mm-hmm. um, the combat gauze, chest seal, mm-hmm. a, a needle chest decompression. Things like that would be the trauma kit where that's somebody who's like very seriously hurt. And then there's kind of the middle, mid-range one, especially if you're into sports or outdoors. and that's um, the sports and outdoors kit. I don't know what to call it, uh, but that's where you have the more splinting, um, splinting and some, maybe some heavier bandages, uh, but it's not necessarily the band-aids and it's not uh, the life-saving stuff, but it's, and you can kind of have some overlap in it in some of those, but um, I'm not keeping my, my band-aids and my ibuprofen with my, in the same kit as my tourniquet necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but just basically what you what you um, think your risk is, how you want to prepare for that, and that that's all, that all determines on your vulnerabilities and your needs. Mm-hmm. And um, that's kind of my whole uh, my whole focus is is not focused on the disaster, not focused on like, well, what if this happens? Mm-hmm. Um, because you can never predict everything. Like even if you thought try to think of everything and you had a kit for everything and a plan for everything and all that, you're gonna forget something. The thing that 
you don't think it is a thing that'll happen. And I think that's why people like zombies is because you get to create the entire scenario in your mind. <laughs> right. right. You're like, you're like, okay, well this will happen. And then um, it's on based on this timeline. And uh, you know, they, they've always got this story where they're, they're the hero. They, they, you know, they're the leader of the group. They always get the girl, they you know, find <laughs> yeah. a, a, a perfect place, like secure place with lots of food and resources. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's just like, um, and then, you know, we get COVID and, and like, how are they, how are they doing with that, with their, this, this scenario, right? Yeah. Um, most, well, okay, every single disaster, mankind has survived 100% of the disasters they've faced, right? We haven't, mm-hmm. we haven't been wiped off the face of the earth yet. Um, so even if you're planning for a very catastrophic disaster, that's still, you know, less than 1% of the disruptions you'll face. Now, one question that I, I, um, I ask when I'm talking tonight, I have uh, uh, that I've done, and um, I ask in there, is a tornado a disaster? That's just an example. And the, you, know, you think about it, and the answer is, well, it kind of depends, right? Because if it's in the middle of nowhere and it doesn't harm anything, doesn't hurt anyone, then it's just a natural phenomena, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a big deal. It's only a disaster when it hits someone's house or cow or car, <laughs> and like that's when it becomes a uh, that's when it becomes a disaster. So thinking about hazards as disasters uh, is isn't isn't as effective as as if you think about how the hazards impact your needs. Even when, even if it were a large, large scale, think of a like a solar flare or electromagnetic pulse EMP, something like that. You don't need to know that. You just need to know how it's affecting you. Like for you, you've got no power, right? So yep. that's your need is is power. Your need is is keeping your family hot or cold and fed and keeping water in there. So those yep. are your needs. And if you look at your needs. And you can, you can kind of assess your risk and your vulnerability based on the hazards that occur or are, mo- or mo- are most likely to occur in your area and, and, you, and how do those impact your needs. So if you get a lot of tornado warnings, okay, I'm going to kind of rank that high, but the tornadoes, when they, when they happen, they impact this, 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 you know, you list your needs that they, that they would impact. And, um, and then you look at those needs and you focus on, on building your needs. Like, so water is an easy one. Everybody needs water and you mm-hmm. need it. You need it mm-hmm. right away, right? You've, yeah, you can eat it within um, your three days. And so I know that if I don't have water in three days, I could die. So I'm going to keep at least three days worth of water, drinking water, clean, ready to go. Not, mm-hmm. uh, not um, anything I have to filter or boil or collect, just drinking water, ready to go. And, um, you know, I look at all of my needs in that same way, like for about the first three days, I want that all to be ready to go. All the food, I don't want to have to cook food for the first three days. Now you might, like it might be a, it might be a, a, a power outage or you know, what if I had you know, lost my job or it's like um, a winter storm and really nothing has changed except I can't drive down to the road because there's, you know, there are 10 foot drifts um, and you're just stuck at home and you have power and you have water on it. So if you don't have to break out your shelf stable ready to eat food 
you can just eat your regular food, right? So, that, mm-hmm. so you have you have all of that. But if it were a, a a worse disaster, if it were an earthquake, and you and your family are in your basement and you can't get out because of the the rubble blocking your way, or you know whatever hypothetical situation, right? Um, you don't want to have to worry about making your family a meal. Like that yeah. like you're trying to you're trying to keep your family alive or um, get them out of there or get them rescued. So the less you have to worry about during an emergency, the the better. So having everything ready to go, and that kind of goes into the build like build a kit, which is the week two for readiness mode. So that's like the first about three days. You know, there's no there's no set uh, set timeline for that, but it's just what you feel comfortable with, making sure that your needs are met for about that that amount of time. And that could be your need to communicate so you have uh, you know, your cell phone, but it needs power. Um, but if the cell towers are out, you have a, a different way. And you kind of look at it as a progressively, like a, um, a progressively worse type of thing. So water, okay, I have this water. And then like what happens if, okay, the, the, the tap isn't working, but then also an earthquake, knocked over my water barrel and that that cracked open and so you you try to think of redundancies um basically if if what you have doesn't work or what your your plan is or if the situation progressively gets worse of course so would you don't you... have to be you don't have to be paranoid about it you just yeah. you start with just start with your basic needs and yeah uh, i was just going to ask then, about the water thing because with like i, I mean i'm thinking of places where maybe access to water might be harder. Like if you live in California or Arizona or something like that, would it? um... Oh yeah. I've lived in Arizona Mm -hmm. and uh, that was always a thought like, well, like first, but then city. (laughs) They do if they were real, if they were a real disaster and um, you know, you, you would have to store your own, but collecting water, would be a much harder there. So, so yeah. in a situation like that, and a lot of a lot of places have natural bodies of water really close to them around the country. The city of Phoenix does not. You know, there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are quite a ways away. There, there are some bodies of water, and in some of the the suburbs, they have some some water, but it's not. It's not a consistent or um, reliable thing to just think oh i'm gonna i'm gonna go and collect water um so what you do is you you store water as much as possible and um, you're probably gonna have to store more than someone who lives uh, in, in seattle mm-hmm. but, um yeah it, you could both both be in a city but have would it be a good idea i'm sorry no go ahead um would it be a good idea for you to maybe get some iodine tablets or um, yeah, iodine tablets, water filters, um, you know, bleach. Bleach doesn't stay uh, potent for a super long time. But generally, if you treat your water as you store it, mm-hmm. then it's still safe to drink when you uh, when you need it, especially if you're rotating it every six months to a year. Um, you know, I, I try to keep some some redundancies. I have um, some some chemical purification, water filters. Uh, different kinds and uh, and volume, and I have a cool uh, little UV. It's a, a box I wanted in a giveaway, and you can fill it with about a gill- gallon of water, and you 
use ultraviolet light to wow. kill all the pathogens in it. Awesome. Yeah, yeah I um, just remember yeah. um, in India when I went there, um, we brought some iodine tablets with us just in case because it got to a point, I think, where we there was one night we ran out of like bottled water. And so we had to use the iodine tablets so that we could brush our teeth. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 It's, um, I, I, I think that about two weeks of water is generally a good target for just about everybody. No, that's another thing is it's all, you know, your own adventure. There are, there are people who are definitely in a more, um, you know, the economically vulnerable uh, situation and they can't manage building a kit or, or saving three days worth of food because they don't know where the next meal is going to come from. Uh, so it, it, there are difficulties, uh, but based on your own need, your own circumstances, um, there's always something you can do or learn or uh, networking you can do um, and, and building some community because, you know, studies have, have shown that basically in every disaster, you know, there are, there are two, two factors. I mean, there are a lot of factors that, that will help you survive, but two of the major ones, one is the ability to, to improvise um, in, a, in a situation to just kind of roll with the punches and, and figure things out. And then another one is when you're working together. And even if you didn't know each other ahead of time, when people come together and they're like, okay, let's, let's do something and, and they're working together and you can get some different ideas. Uh, generally you'll have a better chance at, at survival. I like the idea of um, having you were, I think you were using the word redundancy, but I think um, more options, especially because certain things like it doesn't necessarily have to be unaffordable. So kind of like going along with um, what you mentioned is I think week three is of a preparedness month um, or and then you might have said that it was like a fairly new one, but the idea of uh, the low cost or no cost things and um, you know, I think that might be very relevant to a lot of people that may have uh, suffered recent financial hardships, but also want to be want to feel like they're in somewhat <laughs> control of their lives by being able to um at least think about or do some basic um prepping things that won't break the yeah, bank I mean, and you can you can check books out from the library for free you can listen to podcasts or um yeah audiobooks uh, um that you can even check out from the library for free audiobooks through your through an app and if you don't even have that just putting away your documents in a safe place and so you have those secure um signing up for your you can sign up for your local alerts now that local governments are trying really hard right and you know it um, seems the the less local they are the less they're trying but um we have a really pretty good system in the united states like you can pick up the phone and call 911 and generally someone arrives within a somewhat reasonable time um yeah that all gets harder when there's the you know the, the more complicated the disaster is and um <clears throat> but you should never you should never rely on 
on that system, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's one way that, um, yeah, that we're all kind of, we're, mm-hmm. we're used to it, but the, the more basically power you can take back for yourself and not that you have to, you know, just despise a firefighter you know, or anything like that. Uh, you're really grateful when they, when they show up, but if you learn how to use a fire extinguisher, you may not need to call the fire department in the first place, right? Like, yeah, I got a little bit of a, a fire on the, the stove I just put the lid on the, on the pan, move it off the burner. And usually that takes care of it. Right. Mm-hmm. So it just, just knowing what, what to do ahead of time, your preparedness can really, um, can really do a lot. And when you are taking care of yourself, that's, that was one of the greatest benefits of the CERT program is basically you create little pockets of preparedness in people's homes. So if there's a large scale disaster, they're taking care of themselves and their families and then their neighbors, and then maybe they'll link up and, and take care of their community. And then when responders are able to get there, there's some sort of organization or triage of, of patients that's already occurred, um, basic treatment, things like that. Um, I, you know, I mentioned I had a, a, a course and I, I have five steps that I teach and that's kind of how I, yeah, I've, I've looked at my job as a, as an emergency manager and I've, um, looked at what's effective and not so effective and not, and it's not always effective because it is, because it is policy driven. It's top down. It's what it, you have to follow the, the funding and, um, it's external requirements, but there are a lot of principles that have been effective and in preparedness. In general, I've looked at what seems to be effective, and um, you know, I I studied emergency disaster management in school, and um, the five basically I broke it down into five pillars, and these are what I believe to be the the five essential steps. And the first one is um, personal responsibility, because you're not going to do anything unless you realize that it's your job. You can't. Mm-hmm. You can't rely on the fire department all the time. Mm-hmm. You can't rely on the grocery store all the time. You can't rely yeah. on the power company all the time. We've all experienced disruptions, especially lately. Like we know that there are toilet paper or gas shortages sometimes, and it's out of our control. And it's not even it's not even rational. You know, it's not that there are actually shortages. It's just the demand has has outpaced the supply for that moment. Uh, so taking back some of that responsibility and understanding, okay, it's, it's up to me. I have to do something. Um, I can take, I can take some action. That is, um, you know, the first step and that sets you on the path. And then you have to understand the hazards. Now we don't, I don't want it to be disaster focused because that, that leads to burnout. It leads to fear. Kind of like uh, when you're always watching the news and mm. trying to anticipate the bad, or listen to the bad things, the doom scrolling, all of that. It wears you out, it burns you out, and you're on edge all the time. It's good to be aware, but um, if something bad happens, it still only affects your needs, right? So understand the hazards, but um, it only in ways that that you're vulnerable to them. And the way that you're vulnerable to them is how they affect your needs. And that's the um, that's the next step is understanding your needs. And in that you look at each need and you provide for them for short term, the up to three days, or that's the immediate needs, then short term up to two weeks, midterm up to three months, and long term up to a year. So you just conceptualize what would I do? And 
some of those are really easy, like food. You know, you get the the snacks, foods, the shelf stable, ready to eat foods for your three days. Mm-hmm. Your two weeks is generally taken care of with the stuff you just got at the grocery store. Yep. Um, and then then it gets harder when you're going in, except you start long your way and buy some rice and beans and um, you know, some things that you you know, you know you could eat that will last basically forever and you can start getting some of those too. So you, you start now and work forward, but you can also mm-hmm. start then and work back. Um, so the, the working on a timeline can be, can be pretty helpful because um, it gives you basically it breaks it down even further on, on things you can work on. Then uh, the next step bef- before you even do anything. So, so you've taken personal responsibility, you're understanding the hazards and understanding your needs and then, and, and planning for them. And then it's uh, financial preparedness. Hmm. Um, so this one is, is so important. You shouldn't go into debt to prepare. A lot of people do, they'll cash out their money and think like, well, the end is just around the corner. I've got to do it. And they, they, you know, they shoot themselves in the foot or they're just not like that. It, it kind of goes into the personal responsibility. Just not um, dealing with their, their life appropriately. If you are mismanaging your funds, you could repurpose those. You could put it towards your retirement. You could put it towards your you budget and, and budget is just like a number one, number one tool for that is knowing where every dollar is going and finding a place. I'm not a financial expert or anything, but I have seen how that is a requirement before you do anything else. And then the, the fifth step is doing things is taking action. And that's when you are, uh, you're practicing. That's when you're learning the skills and buying the stuff and um, all of it. When you're doing what you've already planned by, by going through your, your understanding your needs and planning for those. Um, and then, then, you know, you can afford it because you've already budgeted for it. Mm-hmm. And it leads to a needs-based preparedness that's much more effective because, because it's not like, oh, I forgot to plan for this disaster that I didn't think of or this one because it doesn't matter what the disaster is. It doesn't matter because they all impact your needs. And if you're, mm-hmm. you're looking at your needs and you start with the one that's the greatest vulnerability, then it doesn't matter what the disaster is. You know, like mm-hmm. There are some life-saving actions you'll have to take in some of them because, because the hazard is... Um, you know, your, your need at that moment is living, uh, but other than that, it's needs based in it and it allows you to take a breath and not panic so much. And then, you know, no, well, I always need toilet paper. So maybe I'll grab uh, a pack of it and leave it on a shelf downstairs. You, you can, you can build it out a little bit. It's something that you're never going to waste. Yep. You're not going to, like, you're not going to, uh, it's not going to go bad. Right. So that's something mm-hmm. that, that you can go through. And it's like you can rotate through things like that. Now, you don't want to just go out and buy a bunch of um, freeze dried stuff if, if you're not going to ever eat it. I mean, it lasts for 30 years. So um, it might be worth, worth the investment for you. But in the short term disaster, you're not going to break that out and, and start eating it. Like, maybe you will, but most people don't. You don't want to break open your buckets of wheat. Now, last year, at some point we did, we <laughs> popped open some wheat and, and uh, ground it in flour, but that was mostly just kind of an experiment and which was yeah. a, a great experience last year. We all had that dry run of, you know, the world coming to an end and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and we got to see, you know, what, what do I actually need? If I'm not going to the grocery store, 
where like what do i not have that i wish i did and then next time you go to the grocery store you, you buy that thing and, mm-hmm. and you pack it away and then you rotate through it this might be um a personal question but it will specific your answer will specifically relate to you and your situation but I'm sure um, it's going to be similar to what others might have experienced as well. But like, so this is what you've done for a living. You've thought about this for a long time. Is there anything that you kind of encountered along the way the past year, year and a half that maybe surprised you or since it was like kind of like in action in certain ways that um, you hadn't thought of before, but was something that you were able to address and kind of, um, maybe firm up your plan in a different way or firm up your own preparedness? That is a good question. I, I think a lot of what I've um, said about my perspective um, has been finalized and polished by the last year and a half or so. Yeah. Um, because it was, you know, it, it never sat right with me. Um, when, you know, I'd, I'd be on um, the internet go to and stuff like that and i'm like does anybody um think that ever in any sort of disaster they would ever want to help their neighbor we are like maybe or talk to them about being prepared like if anyone comes within 50 yards of my house i'm gonna shoot them it's just like like where is your mind at like what like what what Mm -hmm. has got you to that point and you know not everyone's like that but you know it's a like most people who prepare don't even want to call themselves preppers because it's the like this negative connotation yeah um, and you have to you feel like you have to justify it if if somebody thinks you're a, a prepper and it's just so frustrating but um yeah i typically don't use it but um but going from like understanding that that mentality is is fear-based and disaster-based mm-hmm. and um and those people are are loud and outspoken so that's what we uh, you know that's what we associate with with preparedness, it, but it's generally not true. Uh, I think that, that what I've really learned is that focusing on your needs is much more effective and healthier for your, you know, for your your mind and your relationships and your community. Um, you know, I've learned that people, when they can be left to help other people, choose to help other people, they. Uh, generally do a remarkably good job and it's a lot tougher when when there is propaganda associated with any sort of difficult situation uh, because then it's there you find a conflict when when you're told you know you know the brood of propaganda is us versus them right so when you, mm-hmm. you when you think oh this person has has a need and i can help them but but they're them and we're us <laughs> yeah you're like, yeah i don't know um yeah that's that's what makes it really difficult in a lot of ways um yeah i definitely can see that happening between the vaccinated and and the unvaccinated if something ever goes down yeah and uh, there are still a large number of uh, vaccinated people who don't agree with mandates and um Mm -hmm. and and all that and it's just it's just being able to find a forum where you can discuss that um, social media isn't necessarily conducive to that, but to say, Hey, I made this decision, but I respect your decision. And, um, you know, and, and where there's not one answer for everybody. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of the, the, 
the thing that we need to, to understand is that everybody has their own needs. Everybody's in their own cir- situation, has their own circumstances. Mm-hmm. And just, just do what you can to help them and help them take responsibility for themselves as well. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and I think there's ways to do like the week four, the the outreach and like the education, like you said, without being overly preppy, right? <laughs> or preppery. Yeah. Um, like and not doom and gloomy. Like um, I think even like suggestions, I don't even know, but um, there's probably ways that we could get more people to even like subconsciously start preparing more um and in a, like a non-harmful and non-malicious <laughs> it wouldn't be malicious right. we're looking out for people right but um yeah I'm just well, it's, it's tough because it is so fun to think about the, you know, like the doomsday situations I, I know i'm not the only one because um you know like so many people watch the walking dead or world war z mm-hmm. or um yeah any other disaster like we love disaster stuff like we we're, we're interested like as, as a society we're fascinated by mm-hmm. disaster movies and um you know when y2k came around everyone was kind of freaking out but also like intrigued and um <laughs> you know, we we're all glued to the tv anytime something is crazy is going on yeah and um yeah it's just it's yeah, it's it's, uh, it's it's all right. It's just not effective. Well, it, it is effective to get people to take action. Fear gets drives drives action. That's what the studies have shown, and that was kind of a disappointing find when I was doing my um, uh, my master's research. Was that basically the most effective driver for change and preparedness is fear? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you don't want to make people afraid to make them change. Like that, that would definitely be uh, unethical and. Um, uh, but that's what that's what drives people to action generally is is fear but it's also not sustainable it doesn't last and that's why i started thinking about i mean or continued thinking about all of this and when you basically follow the, the five steps and and you know i'm still learning more about it but um you t- starting with taking personal responsibility and then you focus on your needs is just a a different approach, but it's also sustainable. And it's, um, you know, you're not getting your adrenaline and heart rate up all the time. You don't have to sustain the fear. You can just become more empowered. Like becoming more empowered is its own reward. Like you feel good when you become more prepared because the process of doing it makes you a better you and every little bit helps if you can do what what you can where you are and with what you have like it it just just understanding where you are taking basically inventory of yourself and Mm -hmm. be like this is my need i have some vulnerabilities i i acknowledge that but now i'm going to turn those into strengths and it's much more effective and can be sustained even by little steps because Fear will get people to go out and buy a bunch of gadget, gadgets and gizmos and um, emergency kits off the shelf, and they never crack it open and use it. It's not something they would actually need because it's not based on based on their needs. It's 
just a, a product that somebody put together mm-hmm. and um, you might go and buy the freeze dry food. Now I have nothing against freeze dry food. I think it's amazing. Right. But you don't just go and buy it and think like, Oh, I'm good. I'm prepared. Um, mm-hmm. Unless you've assessed your needs and think, Oh, that's something that I definitely need. And, and um, yeah, we do. We do have some, some freeze dry food here. Um, but it's like the ingredients like tomato powder and um, freeze dried meats and vegetables alone. Like we don't buy the, the meal kits generally. Um, because we, the way we would use it would be as an ingredient to supplement the like the rice and beans and whatever else mm-hmm. we have stored, uh, the wheat and um, and all of that. But just based on your own on your own circumstances. But but people like to try to they like to do something to solve the problem. But that's the last step you should be taking in preparedness. Now in response, doing something is the first thing you need to do. But you you need to prepared and planned ahead to know what you to what know what you should be doing um i hope this isn't too much of like of a random and very specific tangent but i always and i am very blessed that there is nothing wrong with me <laughs> um i am super fortunate super lucky that um you know i don't have any kind of i wasn't born with any kind of disfigurement or disease or I never developed any chronic disease or disorder. Um, I can knock on wood, um, you know, and I work to maintain my own health. I think um, that's a easy step of preparedness, like make sure, make sure your body is prepared. Um, but I guess what I, I, I'm just wondering if there's any like general advice or something that would be like a, almost a duh, um, to like somebody who might be diabetic, for example, or somebody that mm-hmm. might require um, constant medication. Yeah. Um, now, this is a really good question, really important, because it goes into the, the um, individual needs thing. Because mm-hmm. it's not just it's not just when somebody can't afford to be prepared. It's when even if they had all the stuff in the world, maybe they couldn't use it, or um, or they rely more on external systems or people than than other people um and yeah there are the obvious ones like um being healthy as much as you can exercising um not having extra weight um trying to keep a healthy insulin level um just in general that affects so much of of our health right um mm-hmm. But people who do have um, the chronic illnesses, but are like the like type one diabetes, where there's basically nothing they could have done to prevent it. It's just how it is. Or somebody who's who's blind. There's not. I mean, obviously, there's no one size fits all answer. But the law can happen. There is is um, is the networking. You know, being self-reliant mm-hmm. doesn't mean you have to be alone, mm-hmm. that you can never ask for help, that you're, you're on your own. It's um, like self-reliance um, and people who are religious understand that self-reliance starts with, with relying on God, right? So that's, um, that kind of is a, it seems like it's, um, you know, contradictory, but it allows you to 
get support and help that you need in that way. So for somebody who has a, a chronic illness, right, you're looking at you're looking at networking, um, or also just figuring out what you um, what you can can put aside. Somebody who's dependent on an insulin, and that's going to go bad, you know, after not so long, and maybe you won't be able to to restock it. Um, you know, that is not. Yeah, I, I don't know. Right. Yeah, that's a really hard one. Yeah, that's a yeah. lot. Yeah. Like on long term, that would be really hard yeah, to yeah, right, yeah. maintain. Right. Um, so you can you can figure out now uh, any medications that you have, you should try to get a long term prescription ninety like ninety days of, of whatever medication you have. Um, see if you can get your prescription filled. Yeah. And and then and cycle through them. Uh, so you have some time, and uh, and then if something goes three months or longer, like obviously that's a, a very serious situation. And that's not just a, a, a doomsday situation that you know, people see that around the world with, um, you know, very serious civil unrest or war or economic collapse or any of anything, it could be mm-hmm. all sorts of things. Um, you know, we, we are not immune to those things. Uh, but again, it goes to your basic needs. Now for somebody who is, just like look at a somebody just has has glasses. If you're if you are able to get LASIK, you can pour that if your insurance covers it or something. Then do that. Like that's that's a huge way to mitigate that. But that's not available to to a lot of people for a lot of reasons. So keep every pair of glasses that you ever have. Um, get if you can get if your insurance covers a pair of glasses each year get that pair of glasses, even if your prescription hasn't changed. Um, mm. And, and just kind of stock up on those, on those things. So you have something to fall back on to cover that need. Um, I wish I had more answers for, um, for people with more, more serious uh, access and functional needs. Um, but I think understanding your own needs and what you do currently and then trying to figure out how you can extend that into longer mm-hmm. longer term and if you can can network yeah and yeah get some some help and support would you suggest that maybe people need to invest in a generator just in case yeah so I mean, power is one of our our needs and it um it fuels so many others you know we when you're cooking you're generally using power unless you've got a gas stove uh, we don't all go um, Laura Ingalls Wilder and cook on a, a wood stove um, but a generator is a super valuable tool uh, because most disasters or emergencies or whatever happens are short-term and even if you, you know, I put a, a kind of a little generator guide on my uh, on Instagram um, and even if you are getting a small generator because all you want to um, power is like your refrigerator and your freezer. And that's mm-hmm. like, you know, your food's going to spoil and you just do that and you just run it, um, you know, for, for half the day and that's all you can do. Like that's, that might be enough, right? If, yeah. You might want to need to run a little heater um, if it's the middle of the winter um, or you can find another way if you've got a fireplace or, um, set up a tent inside your house and that can help trap the heat if you all basically stay in in one closed off area 
um, a generator is a useful tool. We, we, I think we would all love to have a whole home generator um, you know, with multi-fuel generator, yeah. giant propane tank, but also solar power and uh, mm. battery banks and, and, you know, whatever else. Like, so it's, so it's nothing you can, you ever have to worry about, but um, we can't all do that. Um, but uh, generator is, uh, if that's what you can do and that's what you can afford and that's going to have enough power to run your refrigerator, then, you know, that's like, that solves a lot of your problems. Yeah. I would, I also would think that like, if you have a family member who's on oxygen, no, absolutely. Then you should go ahead and just have a generator just in case something like that does happen. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically anything, um, yeah, electronic that, you know, CPAP or, mm-hmm. um, yeah, anything that's, that you have to plug in. I think of all sorts of things. Um, yeah, and then you think about other uh, issues like people with, uh, with uh, you know, that are on dialysis or something that's mm, more difficult, yeah. of course, but... Uh, maybe having like a hospital bag packed and ready in case right yeah so they need to evacuate uh, yeah there was I mean, a lot of times that's like a primary focus of uh, emergency operations centers in, in communities I, I worked in a, um, a county emergency operations center one one year during a snowstorm and our primary mission was getting dialysis patients to dialysis it been yeah, mm-hmm. eight nine days for some of them and um, we had, we're coordinating the um, snowplows, we're coordinating the National Guard to have them go and pick up these patients. That, was, that became basically the highest priority for that, for that community. Wow. Yeah. So while that is kind of like a, one of the scare, maybe one of the scarier questions, maybe not, but, um, Definitely one of the more specific ones. I think it all goes back to like what you were saying earlier and that I think is a good, (laughs) it's a good practice, like not even for preparedness, but again, just for like mental health, um, self-awareness, like the self-inventorying process, you know, because I think Jesse and I were even talking today, like, uh, I don't know exactly what I'm allergic to that yeah. I should probably be aware. Like, I know I'm allergic to penicillin. I've broken out in hives before, and so they give me, I think, amoxicillin instead. But does my allergy to penicillin potentially affect, like, other things that I wouldn't automatically assume? You know, I've got to do some work and research on, my, on myself mm-hmm. just so that if I were to perhaps pick up something on my own, thinking that it's going to be helpful in any type of like crisis or just, you know, people, the healthcare system's getting a little bit more unreliable than ever these days. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So just where'd like, all, be, where'd all the nurses go? <laughs> where, where, are they, where are they all? Yeah. Where are they about to go? <laughs> yeah. That's right. In um, the various waves of being fired. Yeah. No, that's the, that's the beauty of preparedness though, is that, um, you know, especially if you're taking this perspective, is that it's not about the disasters. You're not preparing for bad things to happen. You're preparing to have a good life. You're preparing for positive things. Um, there's, like, you don't just think like, oh, okay, um, I'm going to go and, and have to, yeah, any emergency that happens, I'm going to 
bug out and head for the hills. It's yeah. just impractical and and I don't have hills. Unrealistic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, oh, people do. So I was just thinking like at the very least everybody needs to at least have something ready for to to keep them alive for three days or keep them safe for three days at the very yeah. least. Yeah. And the overall perspective is not just, hey, bad things happen, but I want to be able to do good things. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a whole life perspective that hey, I I know disruptions happen. We all know it. We're living through it. Mm-hmm. But, and and so it's not it's not something we have to focus on. It's just what do I want to do? How do I make sure I'm able to do that? Mm-hmm. And it's not all about the the gadgets or the gear or the food storage, although those are very important and can be extremely helpful. It's about whatever you need to do in order to live a good life. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's what preparedness is about. So so understanding your own needs and one of your needs is is positive mental health and mm-hmm. emotional stability and um, you know whatever whatever that takes. But there are um, yeah, there are uh, so many needs that we have. Some of them are more vulnerable as another. It's probably a good place to start. But overall, it's just I want to live a good life, so I'm mm-hmm. going to do whatever whatever I need to to make sure that happens, regardless of what happens around me. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Just from my from my perspective, like since I'm a nurse, I feel like I need to be more prepared maybe with more supplies than maybe the average person might have just so because I know how to start an IV. I know how to do a little bit more stuff. So I maybe I know for a while in my car, I did have like an IV bag with tubing mm-hmm. and an IV start kit for a while, but all of that expired and I yeah. haven't replaced it. So <laughs> I probably it's needed, a little cloudy. Yeah, I need to probably get you know, new stuff, but I, I do feel like as a health professional, it is my duty to be prepared for things like that a little bit more than maybe the average person. Yeah. Just because definitely some people feel a responsibility for others. And, and obviously if you've got any family members, they're your responsibility too, right? That you got kids, Mm -hmm. um, like they're your responsibility. They just inherently are, but most people do feel some level of responsibility for um, you know, they're, they're general, the general community. Um, but especially those who have already decided to make that their, their career, like you're already working in a, in a career that, um, is serving other people. You're generally not just going to be like, Oh, a big disaster happened. See you later. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I, that, that's my fear. That, I think is the car. It's like I just when I was driving around a lot, my fear was like, what do I do since I have all these supplies in the back of my car? If I see a car accident happen or something, you know, I want to be prepared to yeah. do something if that happens. Well, and that's another thing that you see in in the prepper communities is they think like I I, I which is good. Like I want to be prepared for everything but then they'll go and they'll get suture kits and IV bags and, and all this stuff. And it's like, well, do you know how to use that? And, um, and that's part of, part of taking action is learning how to do these things. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. sure. You can get all these things, but practice with them, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. um, and understand the tools that you have and have the skills to use them. So it's, um, you're definitely a, a good thing, but, 
and then you get, then you start thinking, well, what if I, what if I run into a nurse or doctor along the way and they can use my stuff? It's like, okay, hold up. Like you don't need that. You don't need to have the whole um, yeah. you know, pharmacy on your back or the, you know, you know the <laughs> yeah, it's a little too into the hypothetical and, you know, it's definitely possible, but um, hopefully they're kind of having the same mindset as Jesse might, you know, have expressed that she understands that she would have the skills and um, has yes. dedicated her life to, you know, taking care of other people. And so, you know, yeah. she's not going to be alone in that. Um, well, yeah. So even the, the idea, like I carry jumper cables, but I don't carry them for me. I have a, I have a battery pack for me. I'm not going to bother anybody. I'm just going to hook up my own battery pack and jump my own car, but I carry jumper cables because something else might happen. And I, unfortunately we do see a lot of inaction. You know, I don't know if it's the bystander effect or, you know, any other, you know, psychological mumbo jumbo. Yeah, it's all good. But um, what, when there is a, an emergency, it seems like, you know, with the, with the bystander effect, the more people are around, the less happens. I was on, on my way to work one day and, it, and traffic was backed up. I thought, oh, maybe there's an accident. And I get up to where backed up and there was a tree on the road. It wasn't, I mean, it was a regular, you know, not a huge tree, but I thought, man, all these people are just turning around and going the, an extra 20, 20 minutes to get, go around this. And I just looked back along the, the cars and I said, well, there are a few pickup trucks. I bet one of them has a, has a tow strap. Yeah, I'd, dummy me, I'd taken mine out. Um, mm. But I just went back, hey, do you have a chain or a tow strap? And um, mm. they're like, oh, yeah. One of them pulled up. We wrapped it around. He pulled it off the road. And, you solved you know, it on your own. Yeah, you, didn't, it's just like, you didn't need yeah. the government. <laughs> right, right. You know, they're waiting for the fire department to come and use the chainsaw and, and chop that up. But it you know, took, took, took less than two minutes. And it was taken care of. And, you know, unfortunately, I didn't have the, the tools to do it. But fortunately, someone else, mm-hmm. someone else did. You know, that, that was just part of what they had. And it was taken care of for, for me. Like, obviously, I'm helping myself because now I get to work on time. But yep. also the, you know, 50 cars that are behind me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's simple. It, it, self-sufficiency isn't impossible, I guess. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, yeah. It doesn't have to be something yeah, I, so far out of reach that it uh gives you more anxiety than it should cuz li- like you said I really like what um your kind of philosophy is is it's really honestly like an optimistic message, right? Like you're preparing to have a great life. <laughs> and something yeah. like you're doing things that make even a normal day-to-day um experience simpler, easier. Like how is that not a how is that not a good thing? Right. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. You just want to, if you want to do good things and have a good life, you're the one that has the power to do that. And preparedness is that. Mm-hmm. Amen. I think um, it, I also think it just makes you less. Um, you like you're not like you. You aren't scared of COVID and all this stuff. Like you just, if you are prepared and you know how to do like basic things. Mm-hmm you're not going to be panicking every time the news comes on about something, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, they, they try, always try anytime there's some sort of shortage, they always try to, to um, paint preppers in a bad light by saying, Oh, they're hoarding stuff. It's like, well, they bought that toilet paper, you know, months ago. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's the people, it's everybody who is not at all prepared, who didn't have enough toilet paper, 
to last the day for whatever reason that is going to the store to buy it right now. Um, but when you're, when you're prepared, just think, okay, I'm just going to get a little bit extra stuff ahead of time. I know, I know what I need, so I'm doing it. The yep. limits on limits on products don't phase you. Yeah. Yep. You can do it. You can do without, you don't need to, to grab that extra package of, of water or toilet paper. Cause you know, you're good. You can just avoid it entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's weird seeing in this country that, um, that, you know, we have, we have like some empty shelves and especially last year, I go into the grocery store, you know, and, and beginning mm-hmm. of all this, you know, not knowing, you know, how how serious this is mm-hmm. you know, i was like the designated person to leave the house and go to the grocery store and i'm wearing like a respirator and and um you know, like like doing basically like everything I, i'm touching is like a surgical sterile field <laughs> sanitizing <laughs> whatever else uh, but um it's 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 just crazy that the things that we're seeing on the news now a year or two years ago we couldn't even imagine. They're just commonplace. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, like I heard of a Chick-fil-A that ran out of chicken nuggets. There are shortages. It's like, what? <laughs> like, man, it's real. This is getting, this is getting serious. <laughs> I didn't know this chicken nuggets of Chick-fil-A. Not every Chick-fil-A. I'm sure I just heard it for, yeah. a, I think there was a, there was a regional shortage somewhere. Chicken Supply wing shortage. Chain. Yeah. Chicken wing shortage. I've definitely heard of. Yeah. Yeah. It affects us all. <laughs> right. It's all, it all kind of compounds too. And I, when I, uh, back, back in, I don't know, 2012, 2013, somewhere around there, I came up with this concept that you know, it's ridiculous. Uh, the web of expected dependability, right? Like this is web of how everything interconnects and basically I've you know, refined it. And it's you know, what, what, what I've talked about today, but, um, <laughs> I had this whole thing, you know, written out on a chalkboard and I was talking to some friends about it. And, you know, that's what I was trying to call it because it's the things that you expect to depend on and, and the way that they, they, um, they interact with each other and are mm-hmm. interdependent. Like when the power goes out, well, you might not have traffic lights anymore. And it's like, do you know what to do if your, your traffic lights aren't lit up at all? And well, what if you get to the store and their credit card machine is down because they don't have power? Do you do you have cash, or are they even accepting cash because then they can't even ring it up on their computerized register? Mm. And just like this little things, how it's all it all compounds, and it all just overlaps. But um, you know that was definitely definitely a mess of things that I had 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 drawn up. But it did get me thinking, like, okay, these are all you know interdependent, and it does make our whole system somewhat vulnerable and fragile. But now I understand it doesn't matter as much. I mean, it does because, you know, at, at some point we all reach our, our limit of what we have prepared or what we, we um, can, can accomplish in, potentially, you know, if it's a, a large, large scale, long-term disaster. But focusing on your needs makes it matter much, much less. And if it, an, an emergency is or that, um, or abilities. And if you strengthen your vulnerabilities, your capabilities become greater. Things that would have been an emergency before aren't emergencies now. If you have fewer emergencies when you're prepared. Yeah. Makes a lot less scary. Yeah. Um, so you threw out a few links earlier, and we would definitely like to put them in the show notes. But if our listeners were to search you out, um, 
best place to find and communicate with you? Um, probably most active on Instagram at the preparedness guy. Um, I also am not very active on, on Facebook, but it's there also the preparedness guy and YouTube, the preparedness guy and my website preparednessguy.com. And you can go there and get a free, um, family emergency plan, yeah, uh, planning, great. planning guide. Um, I can link a course that I have created on um, a site called Outdoor Corps. But Instagram is definitely where I'm most active. Yep, that's where we found you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. It's the it's it's most fun. It's the one I like the most. Yeah. I'm there for the for the memes. <laughs> it's what's keeping us all sane at this point. <laughs> yep. Memes and extra water supply. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, and and uh, on a on another positive note, there are so many pages out there that are preparedness related, but are positive as well. You know, there are the people are realizing that you know there's still a stigma and there's still a negative connotation in a lot of ways when when people use the word prepper. But there are so many positive people out there that are changing the the stigma, changing the perception of it, and I hope to be a part of that too. Yeah, no, that's yeah. definitely um definitely good to know, and it's uh, agree. I would agree that it's definitely a positive move. And um, you know, we're we're not we're not the crazy ones. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Anybody's <laughs> still in denial about what's going on and or what could go on or you know anything that has gone like they're the crazy ones. So you know, <laughs> whatever. I'll look weird with a, a little bit of extra rice and beans in my pantry than, than your average person. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy not to prepare. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right. Well, Nat, um, thanks again for joining us at, for kind of like our, uh, self-help September, but also uh, national preparedness month. Um, yeah, no, I definitely got a lot out of this, and I hope our listeners will as well. Thank you both. Thank you. Je- Jesse, anything else? Um, no, just follow us on Instagram, because that's where we're most active. We are on Facebook and Twitter, but um, Instagram is where we like to be, because we like to make memes. So, yep. um, yeah, that's as the, the voluntary part. vixens. That meets our, our emotional needs. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yep. All right. Well, the Vixens, Vixies, anybody listening, thanks again for joining. And we'll, keep, we'll catch you next time. But in the meantime, keep it sane, keep it peaceful, keep it voluntary.